Hello and welcome to another episode of the Barefoot Mediator podcast, news and views from Jane Gunn and guests. In this episode, I'm speaking with Giles Watkins, who is an expert in sleep and the author of Positive Sleep. He helps business leaders to make better decisions, achieve balance, deliver superior results and sleep better at night. Welcome, Giles. Thank you, Jane. Always good to see you. Um, You too. Look, I've been really looking forward to catching up with you. And just before we start, give us a little background about you, uh, how we met even. Yes, well, my background is largely that I... I worked in the corporate world for Shell, McKinsey and Coates PLC for about 30 years Mm. in increasingly senior sales, marketing, oil trading, then learning and development, then leadership roles and general management roles, both here and mostly overseas, Asia Pacific particularly. And towards the last decade of those 30 years, I started to have increasing sleep issues. Uh, there's always a trigger event. The trigger was the possibility of me being made redundant. My then fiance thought I was actually being sacked because she's French and she didn't quite get the, the way that many uh, Anglo-Saxon multinational chooses to reorganize. And as a result, I got very stressed and my sleep got worse and worse over that last decade of the corporate of, of corporate life as I got more senior, of course, and yeah. sod's law is the, the more senior job I had and the more problems I was having sleeping. I was lucky enough towards the end of that time to then have the chance to do an executive master's in change at the INSEAD Business School at their Singapore branch. Mm. So I do that every couple of months. I fly to, I was, I was actually leading a business in Sri Lanka at the time. So I fly there for sort of four days every 10 weeks and do a module and then come back and as I was waking up at 3 a.m., I was the upside of this shortage of sleep was that I had time to work on my master's. Uh, and I wrote a thesis all about my sleep as the thing I most wanted to change. A good friend of mine, Ben Renshaw, who's written about a dozen books, said, oh, that, there's, a, there's a book in that, Giles, introduced me to his editor. And that's how that came about. And I think we met Jane because I was, I'd left the corporate world by that stage and I was a Vistage chair. Uh, and then subsequently I, I did that for about three years. And now I speak to Vistage groups as well. So we, uh, we have that in common as well. And so, yeah, we met about, about five years ago, I think, and he came and ran a session with, with, with my group. I think that's right, Giles. And so I've got your book here, Positive Sleep, A Holistic Approach to Resolve Sleep Issues and Transform Your Life. I think it's very interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, it, it, it's one of the questions we, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's common across all cultures, but we do ask people first thing in the morning, how did you sleep? You know, did you sleep well? And so it is something that's on our mind, even if we don't pay attention to it. And I know it's something that's on my daughter's minds because they've got young children. So they're always worried about whether their children are keeping them up in the night. But it is an issue, isn't it, for so many of us actually getting a good night's sleep? I think it is a common problem. Most people I talk to, I would say at least 80% of people I talk to have either experienced a sleep problem in the past, are currently suffering or have a a partner or loved one that is suffering. Yes. So it would it's a, it's a massive problem for a widespread problem and also it affects certain groups of people particularly cab drivers 
love to talk about sleep, I found out by starting many a conversation with a, with a cabbie about it. Obviously, people that end up having to work in shifts and have unusual work patterns, it's particularly an issue. And post-COVID, it has also become even more of a talking point because many of us lost our rhythm. We lost the pattern of our day and some people still feel they haven't found their new pattern because maybe they can work at home sometimes or they have a, a new freedom they didn't have before. And actually, managing that freedom is actually quite difficult for many people. Uh, and there's plenty of research around from, from good universities showing that many people, I would say of, of the sort of two thirds of people suffered changes to their sleep post COVID. And of, of those two thirds, a third slept better and were able to sort of use the time and use the new structure positively to sleep better. And two thirds slept worse. And I think a lot of that is around just losing the rhythm of your day. So for a lot of people, that's that's an, finding a natural time to go to bed and sleep and a natural time to wake up. For me, now it's been one of the keys to me having having good sleep. Isn't that interesting? I think for me, I mean, I was chatting to my own physician and he said, now turn your alarm off because it's not good to wake up to an alarm. So very much, you know, allow your natural rhythm to develop. And I don't think I get up any later, but I wake up naturally, which is a huge bonus. He said it's not really good to be jolted awake by an alarm or jolted, you know, in any way early in the morning. By Absolutely, because if you don't have an alarm, you wake up at the end of a sleep cycle. Sleep cycles typically take around 90 minutes and there's, you know, there's discussions around this, but I guess the consensus would seem to be that we're aiming for around about five per night. Uh, and if we don't get the five, maybe to uh, manage to get a nap sometime during the day, preferably to before the mid-afternoon to, to make up for some of that lack of sleep. And that's what they want you to do, really wake up at the end of that cycle. That will really help you. And I've I've done exactly the same and I only put an alarm when I absolutely have to where I've got an early morning start to get a train or a plane or whatever it has to be. And you know what, Jane? Those nights I sleep worse. Because yes. I know the alarm is going to go yeah. off at some point. And I haven't managed to crack the subconscious in me that's going, Oh, when's that alarm going off? When's that alarm going off? whereas I went up by by going, you know, understanding my natural sleep cycle, which is about 10 30 to 6 or 10 to 5 30. Um, that's helped me hugely. Right. So it, uh, do we do we tend to go to bed late, at, you know, because uh, because we have the opportunity to sort of stay up and do things? Is that one of our problems for people in sleeping, that they don't have this rhythm and, and time to go to bed, regular time to go to bed? Yeah, and I think that even over the last 50 years, there is evidence to show that particularly, say, here and in the US, and I, I suspect many other countries that might be classified as Western countries, people are sleeping less than they were 50 years ago, 60 years ago, 70 years ago. And that's probably a link to the electric light bulb, television, the internet, all those other things that you can do now that maybe you couldn't do at one point and people were much more in the rhythm of, well, it's getting dark or 
even in the summer, it's it's dark now. Let's go to let's go to sleep. I think the opportunity to cut corners with sleep is now there, and people do. And also, as you say, rhythm is really significant in helping you sleep, and that's one of the reasons why. Again, research suggests if you're going to be a shift worker, you're better off staying on nights, whereas lots of people even would vote to do nights one week, the early shift the next week, and then the sort of three till 11, the the afternoon, evening shift the next week, and then maybe have a few days off or whatever it happens to be. But for your sleep pattern, that's terrible. Um, Actually having some consistency and rhythm is what you're looking for. So and I think what happens, again, just to just to sort of complete on that, I think what happens is we have that. If you think about childhood and up to sort of almost teens level, we have that. Then, as we're teens, teens sleep clock normally shifts slightly, and they actually do really want to get up a bit later and sleep a bit later. And unfortunately, the school system doesn't. That's 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 actually a natural observed thing that there is this sort of shift in the body clock in teenagers, which normally reverses sort of in their late teens, early 20s. Then many of us go off and study away from home and live a life that is slightly chaotic compared to the life we lived at home. And then from then on, people struggle to sort of sometimes to get back into some sort of rhythm, even when they, they, they start working. Yes, that makes sense. And then, of course, you have children who keep you up and all sorts of things. So what would Which is a bit of a... Always a challenge. Yeah, yeah. What are some of the tips then, Giles, to creating a good rhythm, regardless of what's going on? And how can you sort of encourage that in your children and teens? How do we create these rhythms? Because presumably, if you can set a rhythm for your children and your teens, that's a lifelong habit, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's great to have the rhythm for children and teenagers. I'm not sure it's a lifelong habit in the sense that there are these disruptors like going away to university and so forth that, that come in. Because uh, I think a look back at my own childhood, I think my parents were very good at trying to instill a, a sense of rhythm in our lives. Um, and that, as I said, I think for me, sort of 18, 19, or so when the break occurred on that. But I think certainly with children and young adults, just talking to them about sleep and, and setting an example helps uh i know with my son it it seems he seems to have a reasonable rhythm he does go to bed a bit later than i do and get up a bit later but he's 16 but uh, he does seem to understand the fact that the use of the electronics uh, in the middle of the night is not going to help him and it's not healthy and so forth so he seems to have got that message i do think that having a routine at any age will help you so if you think about a child often that's a bath a bedtime story, it's a cuddle, it's a drink of hot milk or whatever it happens to be, all those sort of rhythm of things that, that you that the children enjoy before they go to bed. Uh, that's a, that really helps. And I think for us, that's great. I certainly find chamomile tea has been part of my rhythm of, of preparing to sleep. Magnesium is a great addition as well. It's a wonderful supplement. You can't overdose on magnesium, uh, as far as I understand it. It's a natural product that we all need. Yes, and it will help you relax, and it will help. Yes, very good. (laughs) It's really really helpful, and it is absolutely need. We are we are almost all magnesium deficient Mm. because we need it and we don't produce it. 
So that's another thing that you can do. So I, I'm a great believer in the sort of, how would you describe the sort of the letting the day out and letting the day in approach to sleep, as in bookending your day yeah. by having a bit of a bit of time between shutting the laptop or finishing watching the TV show or whatever it happens to be and actually trying to sleep. Uh, and whether that be breathing, meditating, or even just, you know, emptying the dishwasher or something, it, it, having having yeah. low stimulating activities, if you like, mentally, uh, can, can really help. And the same thing in the morning. And sort of rituals, I th I'm thinking, yeah. you know, making a cup of tea is a ritual, isn't it, really? Or a hot milk or a magnesium drink, yes. I, I think... One can get too tied into those things, but I do think there is value, at least in having some things that you do that will that will be part of that airlock, if you like, part of that pause between the day and the night. Uh, the, da the danger of too many rituals is that if you suddenly find you haven't got a chamomile tea or something, some people actually will get. I mean, I don't, but some people get stressed by that. Yeah. Um, but however, certainly I find yeah, 80, 90% of the time I have a, 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 a consistent set of things that I would do and it, and it helps. Perfect. And what, I mean, have you studied, Giles, the sort of uh, ritual of eating around the sleeping rhythm? So when should we be eating either before we go to bed or when we wake up? Is that something that fits? I've both in? studied it and have the lived experience myself as well. Right. Um, and yeah, the earlier we eat, the better when it comes to digestion. And it's the same with alcohol. Uh, the earlier we have our alcohol, the better, which doesn't mean I'm advocating claret on your cornflakes. It means try and have that glass of wine at 6 or 7 p.m. rather than 11 o'clock or midnight. And, and, you know, the whole concept of the the nightcap, I think, is a fairly spurious one because it's a sedative. It's not actually helping us stay asleep. It will knock you out, but then you'll wake up, not just leaving the bathroom, but also uh, not having slept as thoroughly as you might have done without it. Yes. So generally, yeah, eating a bit earlier, allowing three or four hours before you go to bed between the time you eat and go to bed. Uh, this whole area, I think, of restrictive eating is now becoming quite fashionable anyway in terms of people trying to keep their weight under control. Uh, certainly has helped me having having uh, practiced eating earlier where possible and eating lighter at night and focusing on the first two meals rather than, rather than dinner. And for me, certainly red meat and stuff like that, I just cannot digest it in the evenings anymore. I find that if I want to have a steak, I don't have very often, but have it at lunchtime. You know, it's it's it, it, I just digest it better. So I do think anyone who really wants to find out about this, the way I did, I just had a little pocket book and just scribble things down on a daily basis and tried to see patterns between my eating, my alcohol intake, my food intake. And I noticed that A, when I ate lighter in the evenings, I slept better. And B, I noticed as soon as I had more than one glass of wine or two glasses, I would then start eating more. So I actually found out that, you know, I'm more prone to have cheese or something sweet or something like that uh, when you do that. And also, if you're working late, as I said, if you keep working, working, working till midnight, 1, 2 a.m., most people then feel the need for extra food. 
and they don't think I'll go and fry up some broccoli and oyster sauce now. They think, what is the domino? Where's the Domino's number? Where are the hobnobs? Obviously, other biscuits are available. Um, and you know, they go for starchy, fatty, sugary thing that are likely to a uh, not help them sleep and b probably not help them. Uh, you know, it's not great fuel for for the day. So. Yeah. There is a sort of virtuous circle element and an unvirtuous. And I say this as a, a, a claret and champagne lover, so it doesn't give me any great pleasure to say have your have your drinks a bit earlier or be a bit more careful with what you what you're eating. But there are clear patterns. So it, to me, it sounds like it's all about being conscious, being aware of yourself and of patterns, and uh, you know of of the theory of sleep and eating, you know, and when you can look at when you can do a little bit of research and understand that, you know, like reading your book, Giles, and then, you know, and then you can sort of take a note of yourself. I did an exercise in a, in a meditation course on, on literally on conscious eating, which is being much more aware of the mouthfuls you take you know sometimes we eat something and have that you know idea of what we've just eaten but we, we you know we're so busy we don't enjoy the food yeah. that we have and, and you know I, I'm coming back to the idea that we ought to enjoy life a bit more even sleep you know and that if we're more conscious of what we're doing and how we're doing it then and we do put some sort of ritual around it then we can enjoy the those processes, those times of the day, much more than rushing through everything and then sort of trying to sleep at the end of the day and not enjoying any of it. Most people, when they actually allow themselves to pause, as you say, and enjoy a lunch as opposed to walk it at the desk or any of these things, they will find that they then have better energy later on in the day. They've enjoyed it more, they've digested it better. As you say, it's sort of. It seems sometimes that some of these pieces of advice are almost behaviour like your grandmother or your grandfather used to, uh, but that's no coincidence, is it? Really, uh, that people are less obese then they slept better, uh, and so forth. And I think certainly, I I find that I find that when I take more time over those basic rituals stopping properly for lunch, allowing time for it, chewing the food properly, and all those sorts of things, I will digest it better, I will be better for it. Uh, and finding ways to, to acknowledge that those pause times help you then reset properly to make you more efficient and more energetic in the times when you're not paused, when you're, you're working. It seems to run a bit counter to many people's lives in 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 the time we're in yeah. but actually it works so I was going to ask you about the times we're in. I, I do get the sense I mean for myself that going back to the way my grandparents lived seems suddenly to make so much sense sort of the sort of food they ate the sort of life they led and I th I think you know the last three years has enabled that a little bit more to come to the fore and and to have a you know a more a more thoughtful life perhaps but I, I one of the questions I was going to ask you Giles is what you make of the times we're in and, and you know specifically from your your perspective as well I am you know remorselessly optimistic Jane so I'm one of those people that tends to when provided with lemons look to how, see what sort of lemonade we can make from it 
Um, certainly when it comes to sleep, I'm very heartened by the, the amount of interest I get in coming and talking about it and in actually doing not just talking about it, but running workshops, running events where people come away with outcomes and commitments and shared commitments. And, you know, I'm a great one in writing the letter to yourself at the end of the workshop and getting people to send it back to themselves in six weeks' time and remind themselves of the commitments that they wrote down to themselves about things and so forth. So I do see positive trends on the sleep front. And I also am heartened by, if I look at the you know, people I spend time with, about how they're not so bothered about alcohol as I was at that age and how um, they've probably just gone through their vaping phase uh, and, and and so forth. And, and there is, I think, quite a lot of awareness in the importance of, of exercise and health and so forth. Uh, I also think that, I, I mean, I, I use a workspace in Bristol uh, where I am probably one of the older people working here. Uh, so I do see a lot of people in startup and scale-ups and engaged in, in entrepreneurial activity and finding ways to bring new things to the market. So I, I, see, I see a lot of positives in that regard. I think the area, probably the it's one of the areas that you obviously work in, is, in you know, the area of conflict. One thing that does trouble me is general lack of tolerance. Um, I, I suppose the area, one of the areas I'm particularly concerned about that I see that in is, is the energy transition. Um, I mean, I worked for an oil company for 21 years and I will get people coming to talk to me about those things or even you know, sons and daughters of people I know getting really quite stroppy with me about why I worked for, for Shell for 21 years and me doing my best to explain that A, what the context was and the world we were in at the time and B, all the things, and I can, there's quite a lot of list of things that Shell has been doing over many years to actually try and reduce, you know, carbon usage and carbon emissions and, and, and so forth and what they're currently doing and how they will continue to do it and how energy companies will be vital to the transition as well because actually they do have money and they do know about how to transport energy. So we need them to get involved and invest and so forth, more than they're doing now, I have to say. Um, but all parties need to come together to solve this problem uh, rather than spend their time sort of knocking heads against each other. So that I find quite dispiriting at times. Yeah. Uh, but equally, I see I see and I see and hear probably more positives than than negatives in that space as well. Interesting. I mean, I do think in many ways, we're in a time of transition and you talk about that there with in regard to energy but it you know it isn't it isn't about a hard stop on anything is it it is about being in transition and understanding how lots of different um solutions and ideas can feed into that transition it isn't just one one narrative and i i think and i i think my blog today is looking at this that we tend to get stuck in thinking one group is right and the other group is wrong but it, it isn't about that from my perspective anyway as a, and certainly the principles we use in conflict resolution it's about looking at all the different perspectives and ideas and solutions and then transitioning to a different way over time yes and i think clearly speed is important in this particular case 
However, I don't think speed will be reached by lots of different groups not being able to listen to other groups and find ways, as you say, to resolve conflict and compromise and move forward. So, uh, but yeah, so that's one area I guess that's particularly fascinating. But yeah, I'm I'm generally I'm generally optimistic. I, I'm not someone who sits around and thinking about all the, the things that are wrong, although there are many things that are. I think there's there's an awful lot of positives uh, that generally occurring. I think, and again, I, I look at AI positively and think of all the time it can save and all the all things it can help with, rather than than, than the downsides. So, I guess, yeah, I remain I remain optimistic. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, we need some optimism in the world, Charles, for sure. So uh, I'm glad you're of that mindset. And what do you, what, what do you think in terms of, because you've worked with, with leaders, um, entrepreneurs, and are one yourself. So who do you see leading us in the, in the way ahead and, and particularly to sort of wave that positive flag and, and, and keep us on a positive path? There's a couple of people, there's, there's many people who I think are, are looking at things in a practical, positive way. I, I tend to like people that, yes, provide data and are prepared to, to present their views passionately and also live to uh, listen to others. But I do like people that that don't just keep telling us, banging us, and making us all feel guilty and telling us what we shouldn't be doing. I love people that come forward with ideas and practical options. Mm-hmm. Maybe not with solutions, but at least options of things you can try. Yes. Um, in the sleep area, a lady I massively admire is a lady called Dr. Els van der Helm. Um, she's not as well known as I think she should be, although I understand she's in the sort of top five or ten sleep influences in the world. But she's she's a really good writer, researcher, and communicator. Um, and I found some of the papers that she's written in the past or articles really have helped me a lot and really shaped some of my thinking around sleep. So always good to to mention Els because I think she's great. She's really helpful. And I and also I reach out to her quite often to share things, ask questions, and she's always very helpful. So I think she's a really good voice in the sleep space. In the business space, someone I really admire is, is Julian Richer. Uh, Richard Sounds, founder from 50 years ago, uh, who has written a book called The Ethical Capitalist, all about how, you know, how can we make this system that many people want to stop um, work better? Uh, and what are the things you can do to do so? And in many ways, it's quite a philosophical book as well as a practical book. He talks a lot about his beliefs and why he thinks certain things. But again, this is a guy who's really put into practice over 50 years in retail uh, and when you go into one of his shops to buy something you see it in action you see the way he's treated those people you see the way he's trained them you see the way he's empowered them by uh, also giving a giving them a, a, a the vast majority of the business um there's you know an employee owned business etc and you actually see it in action uh, i think i think he's a fantastic guy from what, from what i read and what i've experienced and what he's done and all started in Bristol, of course. So I, I, that's a slight bias there because I I live I live in Bristol, uh, but I like I like what he what he's trying to do. So things like that, I guess I I'm drawn to uh, people who are, are trying to do something in a similar with a similar philosophy in a similar direction to the direction I'm trying to work in, 
or I am working in and are practical and, and get on with it. Yes. And I think linking up these ideas as well and seeing, and I know I know you were telling me before we started speaking, Giles, about collaboration and your collaboration with a bed shop, which sounds a great idea. Yeah, Sussex Beds, give them a give them a good name check. Fantastic, <laughs> a fantastic uh, retail group in predominantly Sussex, but they also operate in other counties around. And yeah, we're we're looking to do some some work together, both in terms of in training their staff and about sleep, as well as the products that they're selling, and then looking to see how we can extend that further, maybe into joint marketing ideas and so forth in the future, because they like many an organization is thinking creatively about the future and they want to just move away from being just bed shops into more shops that people to go to and help them sleep better so not and think about a wider a wider range of things rather than just beds and mattresses so fantastic so really looking forward to working with them i'm, I'm doing some initial work with them next week and we'll see where that goes brilliant well, look, Charles, uh, uh, this has been a hugely optimistic and uplifting uh, conversation. I've enjoyed it very much and um, that I've, I've worked with you. I've read your book, which I can thoroughly recommend. And we'll, we'll just give a plug for that in a minute as to where people can get it. But I think what I've learned from you today is about uh, ritual, having you know rituals around things, uh, rhythm, the importance of sleep and eating and sleeping at the right time. Uh, maybe going back to some of those um, times or, or, or ways in which our, our grandparents lived, uh, perhaps, I don't know, but, you know, perhaps out of the last three years come some lessons and some learning and some opportunities to really be conscious about the way we are and and where we're going. So I don't yeah, know what you're... That's why, that's why I called the book, one of the reasons why I called the book Positive Sleep, because when I researched it, I came across a list of ailments that could be traced back to poor sleep. And one list had 75 ailments on it. And the other list had 85 ailments on it. So it's slightly different categorization of ailments, I think, between a European um, medical board and an American uh, advisory group. Uh, but I read the list and I'm, I'm no medical doctor, but I just looked at it and thought, that's just about everything, isn't it? And let's face it, whenever we talk to people who've had a bug or had flu or not been well, you ask them how they got better, invariably they tell you, I slept it off. Yeah. They need it clearly. So yes, I think I think the basics around the value of sleep are are, are as true today as they ever were before. Lots of other things have happened in the world, there's lots of other changes. But we haven't evolved as humans quite at that speed. And we still need a good night's rest or to be able to catch up with, with naps if we're able to during the day. I know I do, Giles, and I love a good nap. So Positive Sleep, uh, where can people find your book? Where can they find you? And then have you just got a final message or word for our listeners? Yes, the book Positive Sleep is available to all good bookshops and book bookshops, I should say, uh, and and via via various online merchants. Although it's getting a bit in short supply, the second edition will be out in the autumn. Excellent. So do do look do look maybe for a second hand copy if you can't find a new one. Uh, and the last thing is, think about how you can prioritize sleep, and you'll find that when you do, you'll get the benefit. 
overnight, literally. Yeah, overnight success. Well, I can thoroughly recommend that approach, your book uh, and you, Giles. So, and you do have a website, Giles, people can find Yes, www.positivesleep.co.uk is the imaginative title. So <laughs> do go there. There's, um, you can download, I think, a, a 23 tip article. Uh, to just give you some extra thoughts on what you might be doing, able to do to, to sleep better. And always loved, I'm on LinkedIn as well, always love to hear from people. Uh, I never tire of, literally never tire of talking about sleep. Oh, Giles, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure to reconnect with you. Thanks, Jen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues. Please do subscribe to the Barefoot Mediator podcast series. And if you would like to access my free video series for managing in times of change, challenge and crisis, and download a PDF copy of my book, How to Beat Bedlam in the Boardroom and Boredom in the Bedroom, please go to janegunn.co.uk slash video. The link is in the show notes.